What's your most romantic memory? Take a second. Think back to those wondrous days of falling in love. What memory sticks out to you the most? Is it that little bistro in Paris? <laughs> that beach in Puerto Rico? That valiant attempt at a home-cooked meal by the partner who is not exactly comfortable in the kitchen? Or are you one of those few, those lucky few, who found yourselves at one point on the other end of an elaborate scavenger hunt? Do you remember those days? When the very oxygen you breathe intoxicates you? When you care little for sleep or nutrition, but rearrange everything in your life to maximize the minutes you get to, get to spend in the presence of one person? I ask because I was recently thinking of some of mine and Anna's romantic early memories the other day. And what occasion this moment of reflection was a particular diaper change that went sideways. <laughs> One which, I will be so brave to tell you, found me a few minutes later cleaning number two out of the buckle of my Birkenstocks with an old toothbrush. <laughs> what I was thinking was, Wow, my life is so very different now. <laughs> Actually, what I was thinking was, is romance just dead? <laughs> Mary and Joseph's life is so very different now. It is fun to imagine what romantic gestures characterized their early relationship. I imagine Joseph the carpenter building Mary a small wooden jewelry box. But whatever you imagine, it must at this moment have felt to them like a distant memory. Imagine yourself in Mary's shoes, just for a second. Nine months pregnant, forced to travel by donkey to your in-law's hometown, for no other reason than that the government is making you do it, which they're doing only because they plan to increase your taxes, which, by the way, how are you going to afford on a carpenter's salary and a new baby on the way? And then it turns out that your husband-to-be forgot to book the Airbnb in advance. There are perhaps hundreds of ways to imagine how exactly the conversation between Mary and Joseph went once they were finally settled in that barn, but I don't think there is any version of that conversation in which it went well. Is romance dead? And yet, at some point in the night, we suspect the emotional temperature between Mary and Joseph must have changed. Must have changed dramatically because they realized that their baby was coming, for real, right now. And whatever harrowing moments followed thereafter, whatever number of exhausting hours elapsed, we are confident that eventually tense expectation gave way to perfect serenity. 
We assume that all the relational strain that had accumulated on that long journey from Nazareth evaporated as they both looked into the eyes of a perfect baby boy. And true love was born, wrapped in bands of cloth and laid in a manger because there was no more room in the inn. I wonder at what moments in your story the romance started to give way to true love. Romance is wonderful, but it's easy to hide your flaws when the air itself is intoxicating. Easy to present what you think your partner wants rather than who you actually are. Easy to be blind to warning signs that to others are right there on the surface. At some point, every person in romantic relationship faces the test of realizing that the object of their affection is actually a person. That they are not, in fact, a projection of their own fantasy, but are instead a full and individuated human being themselves. That this person they are trying to love is broken, angular, and complex. And when that test comes, every time it comes, once one's vulnerability is revealed, you can choose to either run away or run toward. One can decide to love an imperfect person more or to wall yourself off. And true love begins when Knowing more leads to loving more, when being more fully known results in being more fully loved. I wonder if you can remember a moment like this in your love story. Perhaps when you got to witness your partner triumphantly accomplish something you previously didn't know they were capable of, or seeing for the first time that your partner has reserves for compassion and empathy as a parent that you didn't know existed. Maybe it was as simple as a road trip that presented the opportunity for a moment of brave honesty, a conversation that began with the phrase, there's something I've been meaning to tell you. Maybe it arose out of a crisis, it often does, like an unexpected diagnosis, a surprise pregnancy or the volcanic eruption of a fight that's been simmering under the surface for years. Something that's scary at first, but results in you being closer to one another in the end. It's the moment when you lose your job and you're so afraid to tell your partner because all you can think about is how it's going to affect them, how upset they might be, how ashamed and embarrassed you feel. and. When you do finally tell them all they do instead is run and hug you and say, hey, I love you. I love you so much. I'm not worried about all that. I'm here with you no matter what. What I want to say tonight is that the Christmas story is about that kind of moment in a love story. And I don't mean just between Mary and Joseph. The text doesn't actually give us access to the internal relationship dynamics between them. 
It's possible there was no moment of perfect serenity in the manger. It's possible the manger scene was one of pure and unending chaos. Perhaps Mary and Joseph did not set their tensions aside at all. Maybe, maybe Jesus was an ugly baby. Or maybe Mary and Joseph stayed up all through the next day and night worried that Jesus wasn't breathing right. We don't know. When I say the Christmas story is about this kind of moment in a love story, I mean the love story between God and us. And that is a love story that began a long time ago. You could say it began in creation, but it really picks up in earnest with Abraham, when God wed himself to Abraham and his descendants, to the people of Israel, in a covenant that would last forever. And you can think of the rest of the Old Testament as a series of God's romantic gestures towards the object of his affection, rescuing them from the abuse of Egypt, giving them their dream home, a land flowing with milk and honey, granting them Riches, kings, and palaces, and gold, and temples. God gave them victory in battle, rules to live by, designed specifically to bring them joy, prophets to show them the truth when they turned toward falsehoods, descendants that exceeded the number of stars in the sky. God gave them everything they would ever need. And why? Because God loved them because they were all God thought about. Israel, we know, did not always love God in return. But in fairness to the people of Israel, God doesn't sound like the easiest person to be in relationship with. Perfect and all-powerful? God sounds a little stiff and invulnerable. And is it fair to say maybe not the greatest communicator? I mean, between the pillars of fire and smoke and the stone tablets, the systems of ritual sacrifice, we get lots of hints but never exactly a crystal clear picture of who this God in the sky really is. And then comes Christmas. It turns out it was all leading to this. All the romantic gestures of the past were actually part of the same elaborate scavenger hunt, leading not just Israel, but all of humanity to this very moment. God has even recruited the stars in the sky to help point the way. One might even say that all of creation exists to point to this very moment when God became human. It turns out that in all the romantic gestures of the past, there was one thing that God had not yet fully given. Himself. And here it is. God, utterly vulnerable. God, a baby. Is there anything more vulnerable? 
At Christmas, God takes the form of vulnerability itself. Everything in history in that instant is turned upside down. God is saying, I have held existence in my arms since the beginning of time. Now you hold me in yours. I have given you everything you need. Now I can't survive unless you give me the same. You see, this is more than just some ultimate romantic gesture. This is true love. This is God laying it all out there in the rain, in a barn, whatever. God is saying, you really want to know who I am? Well, let there be no more mystery then. No more clouds of secrecy. No more looking up into the sky and wondering, you want to know what I'm like? You want to know me fully? Here I am. I am Jesus. I love you so much that I've become love itself in a form that you will finally and fully see a human. I have held nothing back. I am all in. There's no taking this back. All of history has been arranged so that I can maximize the minutes, eternity in fact, that I get to spend with what I love most. And it turns out that it's you. It's you. God's vulnerability is you. God has shaped not only all of history, but also God's own very being around his decision to love you. And you may be tempted to run away. You may be tempted to wall yourself off. That's okay. Because what Christmas is saying, what all of history, in fact, is saying, is that God is true love running toward you, whether you know it or not. Amen. Amen.